Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. The next 10 minutes are inspired by a waiter and a teacher. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the engine. I have a long standing debate with a wonderful friend of mine. She lives down in LA. She's an attorney and she is sharp as can be. I mean, really, really one of the people in my life who's inspired me to do better just because I see how intensely she pushes herself to be as good as she can be. And you don't see a lot of people like that, right? Like you don't see people who are just driven relentlessly by an internal engine that that just won't quit it's it's awesome so we have these wonderful debates because she's incredibly bright and super driven and very well researched and never lets up and one of the debates is about paying teachers more to to effectively get better teachers now my position as it has been for some time is i think we should pay teachers more when I was younger, just graduating from college, I very much, very much wanted to be a, a classroom teacher. This was, this was my dream. Maybe that's too, too dramatic. It was something that I very, very much wanted to do. And I could tell that teaching was my thing. And I could tell that, that time just flew by when I was teaching people, when I was helping people. Um, when I was in the tutoring center at, at Cal, it just, it just flew by. So I knew this is what I should be doing. So it wasn't really a dream per se is more of just where I knew I should be. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as I looked into it, I realized, look, there's really, there's no way I could be, could be a classroom teacher. Now I will never be rich being a tutor. But I realized really quickly, like, okay, if I'm making thirty-five or forty thousand dollars a year as a classroom teacher, and whoop-de-doo, that increases by three thousand dollars a year or something, I'm just gonna be living in poverty. And uh, a teacher friend years later told me that she she realized the same thing, but she didn't. In her relationship, she didn't have the burden of being the primary income. So she said, "Yes, I can. I can afford to be a teacher." Because my husband it makes a lot of money and is the primary breadwinner. But if you're the primary breadwinner, you can't really, you can't really do it. And I grew up without without a lot of money at all. Um, and that was that was one of my major considerations coming out of college. I didn't want to, I didn't want to end up financially strained, like like I had grown up again. So. We have this conversation, and it's very important to me. And Kirsten argues the counterpoint very effectively, and her position is, look, we need to fire bad teachers, and good teachers will replace them. And I said, but look, look at me. I, there's no way you could have made extra spots and attracted me to the profession without paying me more. And she said, yes, that's what you. I said, of course it's me. <laughs> of course it's me. That's what we're talking about. The whole point is that I have personal experience with wanting to be a teacher and then just realizing there's no way I could. 
And we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Kirsten primarily just comes back to saying, yes, but that's you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And there's no way you could ever attract me to teaching without paying more. To which she responds, yes, but that's you. So we kind of hit this impasse. And, you know, again, we've had this debate for for years. So it's not really, it's not really going to be solved. But recently I worked with a student on a college essay. And this particular student had moved to New Zealand with his family for some time. And he wanted to write about that. And the question was kind of, okay, why do you want to write about it? What about it? And nothing traumatic happened in New Zealand. And there was nothing... After talking to him for about 10 minutes, there was nothing major and profound that had gone on in New Zealand. He just knew that he did make this big move and he, he should take advantage of that and write about it. And so I said, okay, look, you went to a restaurant in New Zealand, right? He said, yeah. I said, okay, well, then you should know there's no tipping in New Zealand. He said, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's included in the, in the bill. I said, that's right. Why isn't there tipping? And he looked at me funny. He said, well, it's included in the bill. I said, I know, but why do we tip here? He said, oh, well, you know, we tip here to show appreciation uh, for good service. And and that's it. And I said, yes, but we also tip to incentivize people. So if you're working, I worked at Applebee's, obviously. And there was a direct correlation between the better job you did and the higher tip you got. Now, this is not a profound thing. Okay, so I would bust tables faster or I would, you know, be faster with orders or faster with refills on drinks or, you know, whatever it is. Um, the, the hundreds and hundreds of things you can do to, to garner a larger tip when you're working in the service industry. But the point is you do it to incentivize people. That's the idea. That if they know they could get a better tip, they're going to work harder. And we have incentives like this everywhere in American culture and sales profession and and service. I've even gotten tips in tutoring, which is amazing. Not very frequently, but sometimes people do at the end. They just say, you know, I really appreciate how hard you worked with my kid. I mean, you really, you really hammered it. It's like, well, you don't have to tip me. They said, no, 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 but it matters to me. So it's not just for the service provider. It's also for the the consumer to show appreciation. It's very much in our culture. But they don't do that in New Zealand. They don't do that. They don't tip. Because at least in part for them, if you get a job as a waiter... You want to be waiting on tables. You want to be there. You're incentivized already to be waiting. And it's one of those things where you're like, wait, what? What do you mean? They're like, well, think about it. Somebody applies to be a waiter at Applebee's. Applebee's in New Zealand. They want to be a waiter and they're going to get a certain paycheck. And whether you pay them a little bit more or less doesn't matter. They're already, they should already be doing the best job they could be. And that makes some sense. You're like, yeah. But then you look at Applebee's in Concord, where I worked, and you say, well, of course you're going to tip them. If they know they can make more money, they're going to work a little bit harder, or you can at the very least reinforce good behavior. 
And you're kind of like, okay, that makes sense too. What it comes down to, though, is it depends on the person. It depends on the person and it depends on the assumptions around the culture. And this is the heart of the argument that Kirsten and I always have, which is, hey, look, people are motivated by different things. I am motivated, or at least was to some degree, to not go into teaching because of the lack of finance. And that's all there is to it. But that's not every teacher. And so to get better teachers, it's Kirsten's position. We need to give opportunities for more teachers to come in and get rid of bad teachers, get rid of teachers that aren't working well, and then offer those positions to people who want to be there, like the waiters in New Zealand. They want to be there. They're not working there to make extra money or just a little bit extra. They're not incentivized by money the way I am. And I'm, I love teaching, but I also can't make $35,000 a year. That's just not reality. I want to have a family and a house and, and things like that. This in and of itself is not a grand concept, but it brings to light the very, very complex nature of motivation for people's behaviors. And that has massive, massive implications in what's going on right now. So there are, there are all kinds of different ways to be addressing Addressing the social situation we're in right now. The, just Let's just take from a health standpoint. There are all kinds of ways to look at how to, how to deal with the coronavirus and the shelter in place and the, the social distancing and the masks. And one of the number one things I've heard from parents over the last three, four months is my kids are going bonkers. They're really really struggling and I feel for those parents I know those kids I can the few times I have seen some of those kids on zoom calls or something I can see how much they're struggling they're they're quiet they're they're not really responsive even though I'm making jokes and trying to calm out they're just they're hurting and the parents in large part have to bend a little bit they say look there's health there's public health, there's social distancing, I respect it, I understand it, but there's also health of my kid, and love it or hate it, my kid is not making it through this right now. And then there are people that are taking care of elderly people, that they themselves are healthy, but they're also caring for, say, an older relative, and they're hyper-vigilant, and they're just, there's almost an infinite number of motivations for certain behavior that you almost certainly never understand. And at the very least, you shouldn't be asking. You shouldn't be saying, why are you doing that? You know, if you're, if you see somebody relaxed about, um, social distancing saying like, what, you just don't care. You don't care about the virus. You just don't care about regulations. Well, there might be 30, very specific and valid reasons why they might be doing what they're doing. And then somebody will come back, what's more valid than being healthy? Well, we're trying to survive. We're trying to survive emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And then there might be some people that are hyper, hyper diligent, not taking any risks, not 
you know, stepping out on a limb, not going anywhere. And people say like, what are you really scared about this? You're really worried about it? Well, you have no idea what that person's going through. You have no idea what their position is. They could be worried about appearing to be disrespectful to first responders and doctors that that they care about and take care of them. They're like, look, if these doctors are going through all this stuff and I'm just leaving, I'm just going out in my house to do whatever I want. You never know what's motivating somebody. And you're likely not going to, especially not now. So the next time you consider why somebody's doing something or critical of them or or are inclined to be critical of them in any way. Just remember, it's not always money that motivates people. And that may seem foreign to a lot of people. But it's true. Money's not always a motivation. And the absence of money, you have motivations that are very hard to understand, just like every other situation we find ourselves in right now. So at the very least, be a little bit more compassionate and understand that you don't understand. I'm Matt Todd, and this is the engine that drives me. Go out and crush it.